All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Identical Drop Podcast. We have a very special guest this week, Giannis Patelis from Meat Eater. He jumps on this podcast to talk about basically all things whitetail. He obviously has done a bunch of Western hunting, but in the last two years, he's had a lot more time to do the whitetail stuff um, in Wisconsin. So um, he's got about 440-ish acres that he can hunt, and um, this last season he had some good success. It's it's a fun conversation because when everybody thinks of Yanni, they think of like the like a big time Western hunter. Yeah. And I've loved seeing it. Like they like Meteor of course has a big whitetail team. They've got Mark, Spencer, Tony, other people and um those guys of course are whitetail nuts. But then you got Yanni who's like typically been the Western guy coming back to his roots and hunting whitetails. So he kinda um talks through his twenty twenty Wisconsin season and his twenty twenty one season and kind of the differences and um you can watch those hunts uh on the meat meat eater youtube um on the hunt with Giannis patelis so it's a pretty awesome conversation i'd like to thank this sponsor vortex optics for uh sponsoring this podcast and obviously right now it's hot it's the middle of the summer you need to head over to vortex wear and get a nice cool long sleeve we like to we don't golf very much, but if you're, if you're, we're, we do a lot of fishing. Um, and so we use their lightweight stuff for fishing stuff. But if you are a golfer, man, they have some nice breathable polos over there. And so I wear, did you, did you see yeah. that PGA post with the, with the big turkey. and turkey? Yeah. yeah. I was thinking I might take up golfing more. Yeah. So you can use our code ID 20 to get yourself 20% off your purchase, but yeah, go get yourself some, uh, some, some golf and polos let's get right into it all right so today's podcast is going to be awesome we have a special guest for everybody um we are going to talk to Giannis Patelis about um, whitetail hunting, which I feel like, Giannis, I feel like a lot of people think you're more of a, I mean, obviously you live in Montana, so more of a Western style hunter, but you've kind of uh, been getting into more of the whitetail stuff as of late. So um, just kind of introduce yourself and uh, tell people what you do at Meat Eater. Sure. Um, yeah, Giannis Patelis uh, from Meat Eater. Um, I've worn a lot of hats here at Meat Eater over the years. Uh, Steve and I are actually coming up on our 10-year anniversary oh, wow. of, uh, of knowing each other. Uh, this August, is uh, we met 10 years ago in Fairbanks, Alaska, mm. right before uh, we went uh, on his doll sheep hunt. But, um, yeah, I produced and uh, did some shooting for the Meat Eater uh, television program, uh, directed it for a while. Uh, and then now I've moved on to uh, hosting my own uh, series called On the Hunt with Giannis Patelis. Um, I also uh, still sit in on a lot of Meat Eater podcast episodes, um, work on book projects, uh, audio projects, kind of a little bit of everything around here. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, as far as my white tail uh, experience is concerned. I actually grew up in Michigan. And so, uh, the first big game I hunted for a long time was, uh, whitetails. I just, I left Michigan when I was, uh, 18 ish, I guess. And, uh, I guess took a hiatus from really, not that I didn't, not that I quit hunting whitetails altogether, but just would go back for, you know, gun opener in Wisconsin usually. And I'd only go back every three to four years or something. So it was still there and I enjoyed it, but I would go back just as much to, you know, see my dad and see the old crew as anything. Um, but in the last couple of years with hosting my own show, I've been able to really take and choose what hunts I want to do and, um, dialing in that property and then just learning it. And then, and then hunting whitetails, you know, in early November, late October, early November with my bow, it's something I've always wanted to do a bunch of. And now I just happen to have like the time mm-hmm. uh, to do it. And so um, that's why it sort of seems, probably seems like there's this like resurgence and, uh, or, um, you know, peak in interest for me for hunting whitetails, which I, I guess there is. But like, like I said, a lot of it just comes down to having the time to do it. 
and the means to be able to get back to Wisconsin. Right. Cause I could do it here in Montana too, mm-hmm. but honestly these Western whitetails just don't get me nearly as fired <laughs> up. Um, yeah. and I think a lot of it just has to do with the landscape. I just like going and, you know, messing around in those hardwoods, you know, sitting in those hardwoods and, and it's just a nice change of pace for me. Right. So when you were growing up, um, was it, uh, like the one, the one trip a year type of thing, or did you, uh, like when you were in Michigan and stuff, were you whitetail hunting a decent bit or what was that all? What was that like? Um, the early years, like I'd probably say like years, like 10 to 15 or basically yeah. until I could almost drive was, uh, three or four days of gun season in Michigan, three or four days of gun season in Wisconsin. And then, you know, a handful, probably about the same amount of days with archery equipment. And once I started, um, once I got my driver's license, I could drive. I probably hunted a little bit more for those yeah. couple of years before I left Michigan. My dad had a, he's a home inspector. And so mm. he had all kinds of properties that he, we had permission to. Like I had an apple orchard that was like literally five minutes from the house that I could hunt. Um, and, uh, so I spent a little more time sitting in a tree then, but like I said, I only kind of was really, you know, figuring it out on my own and then I moved out West gotcha. and, and kind of forgot it, you know? Yep. So Yanni, when, like, so you guided elk in Colorado for a lot of years when like it came to the November time, um, were you like, did the whitetail ever cross your mind? Like, Oh, it's the whitetail rut. Um, like when you were younger and now kind of the same question, like if you were to miss, I don't know what your plans are this, uh, November, but like if you were to miss the whitetail rut or like be somewhere else in November, like, would you have different feelings about missing the whitetail rut? So are you asking me, did I miss the, um, whitetail rut when I was guiding elk hunts in Colorado? Yeah. yeah. Like, was it something that like crossed your mind? Like if you were out in Colorado during early November? Nope. <laughs> no, it didn't. <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, I was totally immersed in, in chasing those elk. Yeah. And, uh, and plus I was guiding, and mm-hmm. so, you know, partially, you know, they're, you know, making money. Um, yeah. But no, but now, yeah, for sure. If mm-hmm. now all of a sudden something came up and, and someone trying to change my schedule and were going to tell me that, uh, you know, between – October 25th and November 10th that like I wasn't going to be able to be in Wisconsin. I'd be pretty bummed out. Yeah. yeah. Right. Gotcha. So give wow. us a, give us a little rundown of the property you can hunt in Wisconsin, like how much of it and how it kind of um, lays out. Yeah, you bet. Um, so there's uh, my dad and I, now I just recently became a uh, Wisconsin landowner and I bought in on a 40 that my dad owned with another friend of his. And uh, the friend just wanted out of the, uh, the partnership or gotcha. corporation or however they have it set up. I haven't even seen the paperwork yet myself. <laughs> yeah. I just sent the check. Yep. But uh, it was cool because the way they set it up when, cause they've now owned this 40 for, I don't know, probably 30 years or, or more. Um, but they basically set it up that they wanted to always make sure it remained a hunting property that as much as it could, it could stay like in the families. And if not, it would stay like amongst Latvians. Mm. But basically the way they set the corporation was that if someone like a partner wants to sell out, they pretty much can only, you have to sell it for what you bought it for. And so no one's ever going to look at it as like an, an investment other than like knowing that you just have a spot to hunt. Right. And mm-hmm. this will ensure that if my kids, you know, get interested in it or maybe a nephew or something, you know, wants to have a little chunk of Wisconsin that they'll be able to get into it for, you know, what land prices were back in, I don't know, 85 or 88, whenever my dad bought it for the first time. So that's pretty cool that they set it up that way. Um, But, uh, so, but that 40 is not all that we hunt that uh, connects to um, a contiguous, it's roughly 400 acres or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all hardwoods. Um, that's not true. We've got a few pines on it and some of the Valley bottoms. Um, but the way it sets up, like, uh, I guess topographically would be that kind of our 40 sits at the Southern end, kind of like a little peninsula. And then the rest of the 
acreage goes north and kind of spreads out and that kind of climbs up in elevation and you know as a kid they were giant ridges now looking at the map you're like oh no no they the, the tallest ridge is only 250 feet higher than the bottom below mm-hmm. it you know so right. that gives you an idea right. we're kind of like in that like southern driftless area mm-hmm. um but it's all pretty much ridges so like r40 is 75 percent flat and then the rest of the 400 acres is all um just like a system of ridges you know you can kind of go any direction you want and eventually you can hike up a ridge or a finger ridge it'll lead you to a, the main ridge and you know there's all these little valleys you know kind of breaking off in all directions mm-hmm. um no ag whatsoever um it, it, it hasn't been developed at all um other than like we have maybe a half acre uh, food plot on our 40 now. Um, but otherwise, uh, we border some ag on the Southern end. Um, there's usually like one field of beans, one field of, uh, of corn, not big. Uh, if I had to guess there, I don't know, 20 acres, 20 to 40 acres a piece, mm-hmm. maybe something mm-hmm. like that. Um, not huge field for, you know, what you see some places, right. but, uh, yeah, does that give you a good idea? Yeah, no, that's great. That's I feel like the setup is kind of similar to what we got on our eighty down in Kansas, just because I mean ours is basically a big block of timber, um, thick cover and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, no, I'm interested. Like, how? I mean, of that four forty that you can hunt, is it like? I mean it's basically. It sounds like it's all basically huntable. You know, like some people have two hundred acres, but they only hunt. I don't know, 10, 20 acres of it. That's, that's actually good and, and wooded and stuff like that. But it seems like it's just a, I mean, if you're whitetail hunting, you can pick a tree basically anywhere and kind of be in the mix. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. It's a hundred percent huntable. Um, like I said, other than that little food plot that's cleared out. Yeah. Um, but it's not, it's not so big that, you know, you can pretty much shoot from one, one side of it to the other side. Yeah. Um, we have a little cabin that sits on the property. So mm. I guess with, you know, if there was a lot of activity there that maybe you wouldn't, you know, hunt a hundred yard radius around the cabin, but you know how that goes. Yeah. Uh, those bucks don't really seem to, you know, always care about that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. no, it's all, it's all wooded. It's all, it's all available. That's cool. So do you have cameras up on it? Like all year round or do you only put them up in the, the fall time or what's that? set up well um i'm running right now 10 uh tax cams i just mm. switched over to the tax cams we um got some of those through work there cool. which have been good they seem to have better reception than the most trees but i gotta say i don't feel like the pictures are quite as mm. good as the gotcha um, and like the app interface hasn't been as good but mm. uh, that's a that's another you know thing to talk about yeah. uh just because mine are all cell cameras and I want them to work the best, most of my cameras have to be up on at least a sub ridge, if not the main ridge. Yeah. Um, and I think just be learning the place the last three years, it seems like any little saddle or confluence of ridges is a good spot to hang a camera, a good spot to hunt, you know, a good spot to, to see game. And mm-hmm. so, that's kind of where I've been focusing. Um, I could probably, I could still easily get another 20 cameras out there. Oh, no yeah. problem. And just yep. work the smaller benches and sub ridges and you know, this, that, and the other. So I actually don't have any on the 40, um, that, uh, my dad and I own together. Uh, he's running cameras there. The tricky thing about this 40 is that it's 75, like I was saying earlier, 75% flat as a pancake. Mm-hmm. And then like the Northern third, whatever, 25% kind of starts to, there's like one ridge that kind of comes down onto our property. Um, and so it makes it tough for there's, and it's just kind of a monoculture in there. And there's just not a lot of like real defined trails, no real defined pinch points, funnels, you know, nothing like that. So my dad's got cameras up kind of on like what we think are the main trails right now. And obviously we got the, um, I, I misspoke. I do have one of my cameras on the food plot. Hmm. Um, but otherwise that 40 is just like, 
we have a big buck that's running it too. And I honestly haven't been hunting him, hunting him because I'm a little, uh, um, I, I guess just intimidated by, by trying to figure out that 40 because, uh, it's so easy. We can go up on a ridge and go, Oh, here's a place where four ridges come together. And it's, uh, you know, we've got a bunch of oaks on it. Like, and it's flat, like they're going to feed here, you know, they're going to cross through here or you go to a saddle and you're just like, Oh my God, there's a, you know, a trail bisecting this saddle, two different directions and one that runs just off the edge of it, you know, parallel with the ridge. So it's mm-hmm. just like much easier to read that sign and be confident about setting up on it. Where when I go down onto that flat stuff, I'm just kind of like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it all it they matter go? If you're 300 mm-hmm. yards that way or 300 yards that way. It mm-hmm. all looks the same. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, no. So what's what's the food plot you have there? Is it a clover? Yeah, it's a clover mix. Okay. A, a little, they, my dad and his buddies, they re reseeded it this uh, spring, and I think changed it up a little bit, but I can't quite tell you. But yeah, it's mostly clover. Cool. Um, it's probably getting to be it's getting to be pretty tall right now. I'd say it's a solid foot mm-hmm. uh, tall, whatever it is in there, the grasses and whatnot. Yeah. So. Yanni, I feel like unless you own like a thousand plus acres, you can't like most properties can't be both like summer, like spring, uh, homes for deer versus like uh, fall winter. Um, at mm. least for our 80, like we cannot get like, unless we have a special buck that just calls the 80 home. Um, we just can't get year round pictures of deer, our, our property. And I'm wondering if it's the same for you, um, because of all the timber, our, our, property is like crazy during the fall and winter but then we like we are struggling to get a mature buck picture like the last like month and a half i mean yeah may may to what do you think i mean september even august september is like i mean you can't buy a buck picture but then once you get october like you have a new shooter buck like every week it seems like until all the way through like january basically yeah and then we have a bunch of sheds they have a bunch of deer winter there it just falls off. Um, we have a lot of fawns um, because we have such thick cover and stuff, but the buck pictures. Yeah. I was, fall. I'm just wondering for you, Yanni, if it's like, if it's similar to that, or if you see like a certain season that th- this property just excels. Yeah. I mean, certainly I would say it's pretty similar that in, and I just, I just sort of always chalked it up to gear movement. They just weren't moving in front of my cameras because it is such a big piece being it's 400 acres. I feel like there's gotta be a mature buck living on it somewhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know yeah. where, I don't know what would pull them away far enough. They wouldn't be on that property, but I just figured they weren't walking in front of my cameras, but definitely it seems like once they're fully developed antlers in late August, they seem to pop a little bit more, but it's still kind of slow until October when just, the, just there's general more buck movement, which again, just yep. puts them in front of my cameras more. So right. I don't know. I can't say if they're not there. I just feel like they're not walking in front of my cameras, mm-hmm. but where, I mean, where do you guys, I mean, what, what, where are the bucks that winter and spend the fall on your place? Where are they summering? Do you guys have an well, idea? We, when we go out, like in the, summer months um like say late july when we start to like try to find some on bean edges and stuff um we just see them working the like the way bigger ag like the biggest plot in our 80 is i mean three acres um and i don't know we've always just seen them maybe it's just because you can see more ground i mean that's one reason but it always seems like they're on the neighboring properties with i mean within i don't know a mile like we saw a buck that was all over our ground um, during the fall, we saw one, he was probably a half mile to a mile in the neighbor's beans, um, in late July. So I'm like, okay. I mean, I don't know what's really a whole lot different between their property and ours besides a giant, just a ton of ag. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. That's, it's interesting. Like we just don't, I mean, we just, we just expect it. It's not like we, the first year we had the property, we were like, what the heck is going on? Like, where are the deer at? Um, and then, I mean, September and October roll around. It's like, oh, okay. They're just, they're coming to the cover where the does are at. We get doe pictures all the time. Um, it's just the, the, uh, buck pictures just, I don't know, for whatever reason, the summer months, we can't catch them. And we have on the 80, we have 
six cameras out right now, five of which are cell yeah. cell cams. So, I mean, we could, I mean, you can always throw out more, but I mean, I feel like we have them on pretty good traffic routes where if a buck was working our ground at some point, um, we'd probably catch them. I feel like, but who knows? They could always be working wherever too. So, yeah. Cause is, I can't remember, but is it true that bucks like they're obviously they're like summer home range is going to be much smaller than it is in the fall. Right? Yes. Yeah. I mean in the fall, of course with, I mean, October, November, they're doing their, their excursions and stuff where they'll go like as far as they want. I mean, Thomas's buck that he killed in, December. Late December, yeah. um, we put it. We posted it on YouTube, and there's a comment that was like, "Oh my gosh, I had this buck all the time. And our property's six miles north of you guys." <laughs> and Tom shot that wow. buck. He sent us trail cam pics and everything, and it was 100% the same buck. Um, well, it's actually kind of like um, I. I guess you listened to the Huff Buck podcast. Yeah. Um, was Yanni on the Yanni? Were you on the Huff Buck? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I was. That because I started. We followed uh, him, and like he was posting trail cams at his neighbor. Uh, had caught and I mean how many miles away was he from that yeah, property several yeah um yeah I think it was something like six or seven mm-hmm. yeah and I feel crazy. like that is kind of I don't know with the use of trail cam I I feel like that's starting to be debunked that these like these big bucks have these tiny little home ranges I'm like okay they definitely do during a portion of the year but I mean yeah take I mean I think I think you could basically take the doors off during the fall because I think they're moving I mean, as far as they really want to, but something I was going to ask you, Giannis, is because, because of the thick timber everywhere, I feel like, do you have a hard time knowing where like deer are bedding? Um, or is it like a very specific place? Because on our 80, one of the toughest parts about our 80 is that the cover, like, yeah, the topo might be a little different, but the cover is like so much the same. Um, I mean, it's been a little different with us actually now doing some more management work on it that we had kind of made these pockets, but basically there's cover on the entire 80 where deer could bed. There's like better areas than some, but we would think the deer would be bedding in one area and we'd be accessing another way. And then boom, busted a shooter buck going into our stand thinking, okay, this is like insanely difficult because they can literally be bedded on any acre of our 80, like at any time, because the cover is so good and they could be anywhere. Is that a struggle for you? Or do you not like really care? I mean, during that, that time when you're hunting or you're like, ah, even if I bump a buck, who really cares? Like, do you have a hard time figuring out where the deer are bedding? Uh, yes. I mean, the, I, I definitely, because I'm only there for, you know, prime time, basically, mm-hmm. um, not that important to me. And sure. Yeah. It's like, I try to pick the, the, you know, way to get into my spots with, with the, that's going to cause the least amount of, um, you know, alarm to a, any critters in the woods. But to, to answer your question about the bedding, yes. Like we have the, the property's been um, continually, um, you know, hard, like select harvested for timber. Mm-hmm. And so it seems like those, you know, when those cuts are new, they're, super or you know the first couple years after the cut the successional growth is pretty dang thick but i would always expect that that's where they're betting right is yep. you're gonna if you go and push those whatever they are you know 10 16 acre cuts usually like you're gonna push deer out of there whether or not the big bucks are in there i don't know um so that that's but, but even then it's like a big chunk right it's like it could be 16 acres of like overgrown you know briars and you know berry bushes and and whatever so it's like it's a lot of a lot of bedding cover and at the same time it's like every one of those little finger ridges that come off the main ridge if you are walking down a ridge and it kind of like comes out onto a bench before it rolls off like you're always going to find one to five beds there right Mm -hmm. Uh, and it doesn't matter which way it's facing because i think they they choose it you know depending on wind direction and depending on how cold it is, you know, and if they really want to be on that straight, you know, south face of slope, cause they just want to get blasted by the sun that day. Um, so yeah, it's like the, the short answer to that question is that yes, like figuring out betting has been very difficult. Yeah. So kind of related to that topic, Giannis, do you like year after year? Um, so your 2020 season was, uh, you hunted for six or seven days straight and didn't kill anything. Then last year you had an amazing, amazing hunt. So after each, which we'll get into, but after each of those years, like 
have you felt a tug to want to do more and more land management with that kind of, with whitetails? Or is it kind of just like, you know, I, I enjoy the property, how it is. Um, it's, I understand it's going to be kind of different every year. Or is there a party that's like, Oh, I want more food plots. I want to grab the chainsaw, do some timber work. Um, where are you in that spectrum? Man. Um, I would love to do more for sure. Yeah. And just be like, just channel my like inner Aldo Leopold, you know? <laughs> and, uh, I mean, but my biggest hurdle is just the fact that I live, yep. you know, whatever it is, a 20 hour drive away from there. Mm-hmm. Um, so to get there and do that, you know, it takes like, gotta take a week of vacation, you know, yeah. to drive out there with all the tools and then and, and do what you can do in a week or whatever. So luckily my dad's still there and he's semi retired and, you know, so he's being able to do some stuff and if you can't do it, we've got, there's, plenty of kind of farmer neighbors, you know, that you can ask and for a couple hundred bucks, you know, they kind of help you get the work done. Um, so yeah, I would totally like to get into it. And, but at the same time, I do enjoy that property for the reason that it does seem like other than the, you know, the timber harvest on it, it's pretty, there's nothing manufactured about it. It seems it's pretty wild and the kind of deer, Sure. Do they all end up at some point in the night, usually hitting the cornfield? Yes. Um, and then end up back up on the, you know, our, our 400. Um, and so that sort of, you know, dictates a little bit their, their movement. Um, but it is nice that it's sort of just like, it's got a little bit of that big woods feel, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, I, and I, and I do dig that. I do like hunting them based on more of the terrain features than if, so I kind of feel like at least my natural, I would naturally gravitate towards hunting food plots. If I had three more food plots, you know, planted in certain places, like I'd want to hunt them, you know, yeah. or I'd want to hunt like the zones leading to that food plot. And all of a sudden that would, you know, kind of come into, into play where now I'm just kind of like, all right, I know there's like food way North of me and there's food South of me. But during the day when they're just traveling, you know, what are the travel routes? You know, what, what, what major scrape do they want to hit? And that's kind of, you know, the tactic that I hunt now. So Yeah, that's, that's a really good way to go. Um, we, we've talked about it on our podcast before, but in the YouTube, uh, we have a YouTube video of it, but the third, second hunt, I think it was the second hunt, the second hunt ever with our Kansas property, um, we sat our bean field edge and Thomas arrowed a 150 inch buck right on the bean edge going to a licking branch tree we had out there. And it was just like, I mean, that hunt was amazing, but it was like, I feel like it was the worst thing for us to happen because it just, we put way too much emphasis, um, and trust into our food plots after that for like the next, I mean, the next year and a half, I mean, probably the next two hunting seasons, we were like, um, expecting it to happen yeah. a certain way. And yeah. And just like being like, why are we not seeing as many deer? It's like, well, we were just expecting food to save us. Um, which I mean, mm-hmm. still on 80 acres, we only had, I mean, we only had two and a half, three acres. So it's not like we're expecting a bunch of food to help us out, but it was, and then, it was a combination yeah. of getting lucky on that first hunt or that second hunt and then watching outdoor television for, yeah, yeah exactly. Just 20 years there. of our life. Yeah. The green lush bean field and stuff. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, that hunt definitely hurt us for a while and then take it to this last December. We decided to really change things up this last year, only hunt food when, I mean, the temps were right and stuff. And we kind of had a warmer December and we, I mean, we shot two bucks in December in the timber, like not close to any food. So it's like, you just, I don't know. It's so difficult because those, those food plots are so tempting and they could be, I mean, so dang good, um, during a lot of the year. But, uh, I feel like it, it is an easy way to kind of get into that trap, um, and get lazy with it. Yeah. Like we have zero, uh, water almost on the entire acreage. Um, like you literally can't find and go find a puddle mm. those days. And so we're thinking about putting in, you know, some sort of water on our 40. And, uh, yeah, I can guarantee you that <laughs> that, that camera is going to have a lot of action on <laughs> For it. For sure. It's going to be a, a lot of bucks on it just because it's like, it'll be the nearest water for literally a mile. Yep. And, um, and yeah, it's like, 
I don't know. It's, it's one of those things you can always, it's like going to the stock trout pond, right? Like right. first time you go there, it sure is fun. <laughs> yeah. you're, just, you're ripping lifts one after another. And yep. then after the fourth or fifth time, you're like, okay, yep. kind of got that one figured out, you know, <laughs> yeah. yep. move on. Right. So I'd really love to get the breakdown of, um, has it been basically the last two falls where you've, um, put in more time for whitetails during the fall? Yeah. Yeah. So I'd love to hear about the first year and then give a rundown of the second year and then kind of how those years were different. Um, I mean, just, I mean, weather wise or deer movement wise, and then also just the, the hunting tactics that you kind of had the light bulbs around, um, to kind of get you some success this last year, obviously. So kind of give a breakdown of, uh, those, those two years of hunting and how they're different. Sure. Um, and you are correct. It just has been two years. Um, the first year it was extremely hot. Um, I mean, I think we had, we had a couple of days where it was like high seventies, maybe even mm-hmm. hit 80. Um, I mean, we were, I mean, everybody, I think across the Midwest had yeah. had similar week in November there in 2020. And, um, for me it was, yeah, very limited deer movement. Um, you know, I maybe should have changed more tactics and gone to like, I don't know, closer to water, maybe, you know, I tried to hunt the cooler zones and sometimes I felt like the valley bottoms were cooler. Sometimes I felt like the ridge tops were cooler if the wind was blowing. But even though it was prime time, boy, it sure just seemed like the deer movement was down. Um, but I, I did have a spot where, where I had my like encounter with like what I considered a mature buck it wasn't a monster by any means, probably like 120 inch or, but you know, probably, two and a half year old. Um, but I definitely was gonna, <laughs> I was definitely gonna try to arrow him if I got the opportunity, mm-hmm. but it was on a place that I've always known. It was, it's called, we call it the Oak flat. You know, there's a thousand Oak flats out there, yeah. but, um, it's a convergence of, there's like four ridges that kind of come together. Mark Canyon came out there with me and we did some spring scouting the spring I'm trying to think the last spring. Anyways, when he came out, he corroborated like when he looked at the map and we went and did the big walk, he's like, Oh yeah, this Oak flat is money. You know, and that might've been already after I would hunted it that first year. That might've mm-hmm. been last spring came and visited anyways. Um, so I had a shot there and it was early on in the hunt. It was like day two or something. I, I sat, I got there in the afternoon and was sitting in the evening and I just made a mistake of, I set up thinking that like, Cause off of one edge of the Oak flat, the pretty steep, maybe like 10 year old cut. That's still pretty thick. Like a lot of just smaller diameter trees. And I was thinking that if a buck came through the Oak flat, he'd be like right on that edge, like smelling, you know, what was coming up out of that bowl where it was thick. So I set up within shooting range of that edge. Had he done that? Well, I think that for a buck, that was probably just very short sighted because, a buck doesn't need to be that 50 yards probably doesn't make a difference for him. Right. He right. can smell every doe that's in that bowl, no matter where he is up on the Oak flat. And I think like a smart prey animal, he's going to come in where he can, you know, smell the most, see the most and whatever. And that's kind of that downward side of that Oak flat. And so where he came in that day is pretty much the same path that eventually, you know, I ended up killing the buck in 2022 on, um, but that goes, that's just a nice segue to 2020 was great in the fact that even though there wasn't a lot of deer movement, I was, I hunted all over the place on that 400. I hunted high on the ridges. I hunted low in the valleys, hunted saddles, you know, hunted, you know, point. Um, it was just such a good learning experience. Um, and even though I couldn't go to a place and always like see deer, like the stuff that I was learning from sitting there for a, you know, a hunt would be like, okay, it's pretty good wind up top. It's just supposed to be a steady eight mile an hour wind, but I'm in this Valley bottom or two thirds of the way down towards the Valley. And the wind is terrible, you know? So like just knowing where good wind setups were from all the different places mm-hmm. I hunted, that, that was pretty big, you know, yeah. and realizing that those valleys were going to be a lot harder to hunt. Mm-hmm. than um the ridge top you know and that's just like now i just know that right i still want to figure out those valleys because i'm sure there's 
some movement that goes on through there. And there's probably times like when that's where you want to be, but, uh, man, the wind just seems to be real. Yeah. Tough in there. That's, that's interesting. Um, that's interesting that you say that because we're, we're buddies with, um, like Sean and Mike from Heartland Bowhunter. And that's one thing Sean talked about in their Missouri property. He's like, man, we have these huge valleys that just seem like primo for deer. And like, you see, like if you're not hunting it, like you, you can see a bunch of deer there, but he's like, every time we hunted it, we just, the wind was terrible. We would get blown out every single hunt. So he's like, we just plant a giant food plot there and we don't even hunt it. We just, <laughs> that's, that's all we do. Yeah. And it's crazy too. Cause it's one valley we have, it's even got like the kind of the three like ridges that come down and kind of meet together. Um, when you walk through there, it's just like scrape after rub after mm-hmm. scrape after rub and, you know, big thick trail beating down through the briars. But like, if you can't get the wind right, it just yeah, makes no just sense. Screwed. Yeah. There, you know? yeah. yeah. Um, but prepping a bunch of trees, and not only did I prep the trees for future, and you know now I have a mark on my onyx. So if I'm ever, if I'm ever like, oh yeah, I want to go hunt that again. Like I've got a tree ready, but just like, you know, picking out those spots, but then also realizing, like I went in there with that was like my first real year hunting out of a saddle, and you know when everybody's pitching the saddle, they're just like, oh yeah, you just like anytime you want, you just bebop around and pick a new tree and zip right up it. Well, like sure you can zip right up it but what if you don't have a single shooting lane once you zip up it well mm-hmm. you got to zip back down it and then cut yourself at least one shooting lane if not multiple and then you're sitting there for the rest of the afternoon going well did all that noise i just make <laughs> bust out everything within yeah. 400 yards of me you yeah, know yeah. um because i just had a little timber cut here for about an hour um <laughs> so uh but yeah, so just like, it was so good to see all those spots just to, you know, really become more intimate with that whole property. Um, and you know, even just like dialing in cell cam locations, right. I would like notice that even though it was, I'd been watching them for, you know, that last week of October and now it's the first week of November and I was checking them every evening well, some of them just weren't like getting good picks. And, and, uh, and so I would grab that and just stick it in my backpack. And then as I was hunting, I'd come to like another really good looking scrape or a, a saddle that I hadn't set up a camera on yet and be like, all right, like, let's try this, you know, and set that up. And then two days later, be like, well, that was a great move because yep. look at everything that I'm seeing here now. Um, so yeah, even though it was like just brutally tough on like deer movement, um, I mean, there was plenty of hunts where I just didn't see diddly. Yeah. Um, it definitely gave me confidence in, you know, where I wanted to sit, you know, where I was going to hunt the next year, where I had, you know, going to leave cameras and set up. And I've narrowed, I narrowed it down, probably rolling into last, uh, last fall. I had three major spots, including the Oak flat where I had the close encounter in 2020 that one and then two others that they're actually not that far apart. They're probably, I don't know, one might be 500 yards away. And then another 200 yards from there is another little spot called the North saddle. It just happens to be like the northernmost saddle, um, on the property. And, uh, you know, between cameras and, you know, the sign and and whatnot, it just seemed like that was going to be, those are going to be places where I could count on getting in there probably having good wind on anything that goes from, you know, coming out of the North, uh, West all the way to coming out of the Southwest. Um, any of those wind directions are probably going to be pretty decent. You know, if I needed, if it was something crazy, you know, straight South and straight North, I could probably just, you know, adjust the tree a little bit or whatever and, uh, you know, make it work. But I, I knew that those were just good travel routes and that the rut would probably produce a buck on those, uh, you know, travel routes. So going into 2021, um, I had those three spots. They were all pretty well producing, you know, picks on, on, um, on, sorry, you know, bucks on, uh, cameras, but the Oak flat, there's the one major scrape that's on the Oak flat where if you watch that episode that I self filmed last fall, you'll see that like, the buck I kill works that scrape before he comes underneath mm-hmm. my stand. 
Like that scrape, when I first found it, I was like, oh, it looks like any old scrape. But as the fall went on, the scrape got bigger and it just became like more prominent. And I don't, I'm not enough of a white tail hunter to really be like, oh yeah, that's definitely a community scrape or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah, but like, right. it seems like a lot of different bucks, a lot of does, like everybody seems to, you know, make a stop here. Um, and so it was just, it was just consistent. And I knew I had a good tree and the wind was good. And that's another beauty about hunting these ridge tops is that um, when you're on the edge of something like an oak flat that then drops off or even just a saddle that, you know, has steep hills on either side of you, like even if the wind, even if a buck comes downwind of you, it's so steep and so far underneath you and the wind's just getting blown straight off the ridge that more than likely he's not going to pick you up. Yep. Um, unless there's just some crazy swirling going on. But uh, so I felt just really safe and, 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 you know, felt like I had my best chance there. Went in there and, yeah, seven hours later, 2 p.m., um, I think I had seen three, like, one-year-old bucks and then, I don't know, a couple does maybe. Um, and then, yeah, 2 p.m., that uh, that little 10-pointer came through and uh, – and uh, you guys, you know, probably heard the story. I'll tell it again, but I was so worried because I was self-filming it. I was worried that I couldn't see on the little screen well enough if the deer were actually in focus when I was filming. I was so worried that I was having out-of-focus deer. I decided to go back into the, you know, into the camera and try to watch a clip and try to make sure that the camera was, you know, focusing on these deer. Mm-hmm. And as I'm doing that, I'm watching a deer on the little view viewfinder not viewfinder but the little screen you know and uh i can see that deer walking and i can like see his foot you know his footsteps in the oak leaves but at the same time i feel like i'm hearing you know footsteps (laughs) in the oak surrounding like i stopped i hit pause i looked around didn't see nothing and obviously there's a that buck is literally standing 25 yards away from me at a scrape and I went back to watching it, and then it kind of happened again. And I was like, man, I was like, I better quit this. You need to hunt, you know, is what yeah. I told myself. I was like, you just need to hunt. And as soon as I hit stop again, that's when I heard, like, yeah. you know, actually, like, near me. And I look over, and the buck's like, you know, he's less than 25. He's probably at 20 to 15. And man. luckily, I just had enough time to basically switch over from playback to record and get it on him. And, uh, luckily had he just walked, I maybe would not have gotten a shot, but there was, we had a great Oak year and he took like, I don't know, four or five steps and set on a few acorns. And that gave me enough time just to get the camera on him, get my bow drawn back. And then, uh, I didn't, I wasn't at full draw long at all before he took a few more steps and I gave him the old map and, mm-hmm. uh, let one fly. So, man, um, yeah, it was great, you know, and I felt like all that work from 2020 paid off in 2021. Um, you know, it was obviously awesome to have the success, but it was definitely like a little bit of a bummer to have it be like whatever November second. Yeah, and you're like, oh, I'm done. Like, I, there's yeah. you know, there's no there's no. I mean, I guess I could have hunted does, and I actually that crossed my mind, but at the same time, like getting home and. Um, you know, back to the family right. ended up being more important, but, uh, you know, the older I get, man, it's like, it's about the hunt not about the kill. And so when the kill happens on day one, you're kind of like, ah, yep. I just missed out on six <laughs> days of hunting. You know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was great. And I think now my, like, so like going into year three, I was actually just thinking about this today. It was like, I don't know. Cause I know I can go right back to that Oak flat. If the wind's right, go right back on there in there. And more than likely the first or second day, there's going to be a, a two and a half year old minimum, you know, or older walk through there. And he's mm-hmm. probably going to be within bow range. Do I want that experience or do I want to go and sit a one of my other two spots that I think are see I hunted a rifle season two last year and hunted one of those other two spots and sure enough killed a buck like literally two minutes into shooting light. Oh wow. 
and uh, another two and a half year old, you know, not a <laughs> yeah. giant, you know, 125 inch type. Still a good point, buck. But, you know, yeah. For, for me, for me and my whitetail experience, it's like right where I want to be right now. And uh, going into 22, I'm going to pass on the, the mid 120 type bucks and, and try to hold out a little bit, partially because I want to hunt longer. Um, and, uh, partially cause you know, it'd be fun to kill a bigger buck, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, I'm probably leaning towards, uh, cause I haven't really sat in the North saddle yet during the rut. And, uh, I'm probably leaning towards that just cause like I said, want to hunt something new, uh, new, you know, new views, new scenery and all that. And, uh, I got a good feeling about it. There's a nice scrape on it, you know, right there in the saddle. I got like three trails that all kind of two cross the saddle and one kind of parallels the saddle and my, and like the tree I'm in literally you can jump off of one side of the tree and you would probably be okay. Cause you would just drop yeah. the 15, 15 feet. Nice. But if you jumped off the other side, you're going to go down like 40 feet, mm-hmm. you know, 50 feet. till you hit the ground. Like it's that on the edge. And, wow. uh, you know, if I've got any kind of wind coming out of the West, they're just not going to smell it because it's, it's, yeah. uh, it's blowing out into the universe, you know? All right. Watching, um, your, your on the hunt episode from your 2021 buck. It was like watching a movie that I've seen before, but my, my brain's like trying to change the outcome of how I know it's going to actually go. Cause I know you kill this buck, but in my head, I'm like, I don't know if he's going to, I don't know if he's going to have time, <laughs> even though I knew that you, you kill this buck. It's just like watching that movie that you've seen a thousand times and you just, your brain's trying to change the outcome. Yeah. Those, those trail cam picks are freaking awesome of you. Just like hanging up in the tree when that deer's that point blank. That is. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you know, I'm going to, I'm going to use that. To, I can't believe I hadn't thought about it beforehand but I am totally going to use that to make like better content. You know, next time I self film a deer hunt for sure or any hunt that I'm where I'm just sitting, but it's like, why not just put it, put your, you know, a camera or two or three, they only take seconds to set up, put yeah. it on you know, video mode and just let her roll. And as mm-hmm. long as I think you kind of keep the scent down on them and, or keep them downwind of where you expect the game to be, like it can add a really cool, um, you know, another angle and mm-hmm. just another point of the whole hunt. Mm-hmm, for sure. Was that, so have you done much, uh, self filming before that hunt? No, that was the first time. Yeah, no. Well, you did a really good job because <laughs> that, that stuff is so freaking hard. Yeah. A lot harder than it, than it looks. Well, I had the, obviously had the, the, um, experience of just mm-hmm. filming, when I used to shoot meat eater. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so at least I had a, like a decent idea of, you know, a shot list in my head and how to just to get general coverage. Right. Um, of, but yeah, it's definitely harder because you're like, you got to run ahead, set up the camera, walk in front of the camera, you know, do all that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. some of that stuff, you know, it's, it's made up, right. Because you're like, you're literally doing it just for the camera. Right. right. You wouldn't, walk down that road twice if right. you weren't self-filming yeah so some of it i'm like and eh, do you really need to do it but on the other hand it's like well yeah because even if someone knows that you had to walk down that road twice it puts you in the place it gives you that context of like oh okay now i know what it looks like where mm-hmm. that dude's hunting right yeah or how he's accessing it you know it's a road and it's yep. whatever it's got oak trees everywhere you know like some of that is um it's just nice for for context, I think. Because right. I think that I get bored, for me at least, watching, like, constant, that kind of selfie stick angle. Mm-hmm. If, if, that, if it never changes, you just kind of get over uh, watching that same angle, you know, yeah. for 20 minutes or an hour uh, yeah. or whatever. I, I think we don't uh, Tom's and I obviously hunt together like far majority of the time, but like there's, there's evenings and stuff like when we're out West, we split up and stuff and film each other or film solo. Um, but man, I don't like Remy Warren is, I mean that the self filming he does is wild. I'm like, and I know like he's like going back to get cameras and stuff. I'm like watching him like go over a ridge top and stuff. I'm like, that's a long hike back to the camera, buddy. That is, that is a dedication there, <laughs> but he's, yeah, that's tough yeah. stuff. So, totally. um, Giannis, do you, did you get like a rough age on that buck or like, 
do you think he was in the three to four year old ballpark or where were you thinking on your last year? Ballpark? No, he was a two, he was a two and a half year old. I had him tested for, um, for CWD. No, you know what? I'm sorry that the Archie one, I, I tried to get him tested and, um, I had, uh, I'd cut the, uh, <laughs> I'd cut the too much, you know, I'd cut it too close to the, um, to the spine basically or mm. too close to the head. There wasn't enough matter there gotcha. for them to take it. So they did it on my other one, which I don't know. There's a, the other one was for sure two and a half. Cause, and he was like, like I said, 125 inch eight point that 10 point was 125 inch 10 point. He just has little bitty G threes, you know, um, or sorry, those little bitty G fours. Uh, I just like he maybe he was three and a half, yeah. but man, they sure seem pretty similar, you yeah. know. Gotcha. So like, you're 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 gonna hold out. Like, how big of a buck are you gonna let pass? Like, how similar are you gonna be to Lee Lakoski this next <laughs> fall? Like, does he have to be one eighty, or is a one thirty gonna gonna get shot? I don't know. I don't know what Lee does. So, um, so Lee, the only shoot one eighty. He only shoot. Well, that'd be. He just. I mean, he has Iowa kinda, property, so yeah, it's like two hundred or bust. I'm, just, I'm but. just joking, but like if because he, yeah, he he passes like one eighties consistently when I'm watching him on TV. So. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. So like, what's the what's the next like? What do you want to get to? Um, like, what what's a good shooter buck in your your mind? Now, now with the hunting that you've had and the success you've had, I mean, probably the first, so I'll probably give myself a solid seven days, like in the sand again, straight. Yep. And I would say that days one through five, it's going to have to be 10 inches bigger than yep. those two bucks. Mm-hmm. Like 135, nice. 140 would be perfect. You know, uh, obviously I would say like, I almost rather have that than the 150 yeah. because mm-hmm. I want to save him for, you know, it's always nice to like slowly incrementally get bigger, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. If I crack a 150 next year, it's like, it's going to be hard to beat that one for a while. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, but, but what I was going to say is like all of a sudden day six rolls around and then that 125 walks <laughs> underneath me. I'm going to shoot him. It. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, and because like that is like, at that point I'm going to be like, satiated as far as like days spent hanging in the saddle, you know, and be very happy with like having hunted and have a whole, you know, six days of experiences. And like, I just like, haven't, even though I've bow hunted a lot and mostly as a guide, you know, we're like, you're doing a lot of the hunting. You're just not doing the actual shooting. Um, I've like, you know, less than 10 animals have died by my arrow. Right. So like there comes a point where I'm like, I need to, have more of that practice, you know, and I need to perform that thing over and over, you know, if I want to stay good and, you know, be successful at it year in and year out. And yep. so, um, probably day six, I'll probably shoot the first doe that walks underneath yep. me too, you know? Yeah. That, uh, yeah. That is 100% the way to go. I like this last fall, we had bigger deer on our cameras, but I, we had just an insane morning of hunting November 5th and rattled in a buck that was, I mean, I didn't, I never put the tape to the buck I scored, but, or I, I killed, but one one thirty mids maybe. Um, and I shot him at 40 yards and I mean, I was just jacked. Like it was, I mean, we had already put a lot of time hunting that year, but just the way the hunt went down, just being the first week of November, seeing a bunch of bucks that morning and then having them come into the antlers are just like, I'm going to shoot this deer. Like there's, there's bigger deer in the area, but I'm 100% going to shoot this deer. And, uh, yeah, no, you can't, you can't, you can't pass that up. It's too, too much fun. So. No, in the end, it's like, it's gotta be somebody, there's a quote from somebody, I can't remember who said it, but in the end, I think it should be like, if it gets your heart pumping and you're like, you got a smile on your face when that buck's coming towards you, like what else do you want? You know? Exactly. Yep. Yep. So we'll get this thing wrapped up, Yanni, but real quick, last thing, um, give people just like a really rough, uh, or, uh, kind of quick overview of, of like your November like gear, like what you're kind of wearing, um, for your first light layers and then like your bow. And then I know you've dedicated a lot of time to figuring out the, like the arrow setup you want. So just quickly run through, uh, what you're using gear wise. Sure. Uh, bow wise, I'm shooting the prime inline, uh, three and, uh, we'll be shooting that again this fall. Um, 
far as I'm concerned these days, the bows, yeah, they have differences between all these nice bows, but Mm -hmm. I feel like I could really pick up any one of them and probably shoot them accurately out to 70 yards, which is probably twice as far as I'm ever going to shoot, you know, at a whitetail with one. And, um, so yeah, it, it works great. I like it. Um, and for arrows, it's the Sirius Apollo, um, a 250 spine, I believe. It's pretty stiff. Mm-hmm. So I'm running like a 100 grain insert and then a 200 grain head. So it comes out to 650 total. It's a heavy um, and the head is a single bevel, tough head. And, you know, Sirius has a new arrow coming out that's a little bit lighter grain per inch. And I might try that just because it's going to allow me to then actually put more weight up front and just and get even a higher FOC. Yeah. So I'll basically take like whatever, maybe 50 or a hundred grains out of the shaft mm-hmm. and then be able to add that same weight up front, but still, uh, you know, retain good arrow flight. So, so far I've killed one buck and one nil guy and two pigs with that arrow set up. And, uh, it didn't pass through the nil guy, but it did go through like two feet of his gut. Yeah. Then all of his, you know, long part. And basically it came so close to sticking out of his chest, which is on uh, the nil guy. It, it's dang close to an inch thick hide. Yeah. Not like fat, but actual like the, the thickness mm-hmm. of the hide is like an inch on his chest. Mm-hmm. And, um, like you could feel the, the tip of the arrow through his chest, but didn't quite poke out. So gotcha. I feel like I still, it was 36 to 48 inches of penetration. Wow. Um, and both the pigs, it just zipped right through that buck. I wouldn't quite say zipped right through, but it went through him. Like I, yeah. by all means, I had a full on exit. I think the arrow might've drug with him for one jump and then it fell out. Yeah. So I'm going to continue uh, shooting that until I, you know, find until it fails me for some reason and makes me go to something else. Yeah. Um, but sure. I've been really, really happy with it so far. Cool. Um, and then release wise, you know, I just switched over to a, I'm still shooting a uh, index finger release, but I switched over to the hook. I believe it's made by a company called Hawk. Maybe hmm. know that one B3, something like that. Doesn't sound familiar. It's got it's a little, it's got a little more adjustability than my old Scott. Yeah, and um, I've been kind of listening to and you know breathing a little bit of that uh, Joel Turner shot IQ stuff, yeah, and yep. you know Mark Kingen's been, you know, he just recently did some stuff with him. So I've got it set pretty stiff right now with a fair amount of travel, and it's really making me just having to sit there and hold and hold and hold and hold on that target and. Um, I don't feel like I've ever, you know, dealt with target panic much. Um, uh, but anyways, always trying to get better, you know, um, as far as, uh, clothing goes, uh, well, I'll be hunting out of the tethered saddle, um, which I'm super stoked with tethered platform. I'm actually using the timber ninja, uh, six, um, mostly just cause they're a little, that carbon fiber seems to be a little bit quieter Mm -hmm. than the aluminum. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, um, yeah, clothing-wise, uh, first light, you know, again, a lot of it depends on the temp. Yeah. But, uh, you know, some sort of a long, wool long, John, you know, if it's real cold, maybe the furnace. What I've been doing when it's cold now is I'll actually put my, I'll just hike in in my furnace long, John, and put my solitude bibs on my back so that I don't, because, uh, all yeah, our walks in that country is, is just <laughs> long enough and just deep enough where if I'm wearing my solitude bibs, I'm going to get a little sweaty. Yeah. And, uh, mm-hmm. I feel like there's nothing that will make me colder than that, you know? Right. Um, so yeah, I always bring an extra pair of socks in case I do wet out. Cause you know, rubber boots tend to get a little bit swampier. And if mm-hmm. I feel my feet are sweaty at all, I always swap into dry socks. And that seems to really keep my, warm um and then up top you know wool base layer and then again just depending on how cold it is you know maybe like you know insulate wool or a uh, down insulated vest or jacket over you know the furnace um base layer um 
and then a solitude uh, park over it. Yep. And uh, that's been, you know, some version of that system seems to be working for pretty much just about everything. I just, I haven't encountered temps cold enough yet where I feel like it's been, I've had, like I needed to go with the um, sanctuary mm-hmm. system yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially for bow hunting. I feel like the solitude's perfect. I've, I've hunted with the um, sanctuary pants, but the jacket seems to be a bit much for me for drawing back a bow and stuff. So usually no matter how frigid it is, the solitude's going to be my max, but yeah, well, Giannis, yeah. seriously appreciate you being on the podcast with us. Um, I, I don't know. I've really enjoyed watching the meat eater stuff. If, if anybody has not seen, um, your last whitetail hunt, um, it's on the hunt, right? Is that the, your series? That's right. That's yep. right. On the hunt with Giannis Patelis. It's on the meat eater YouTube channel. Yep. Go check it out. It was a great hunt. Um, and man, we'll have to stay posted on, um, how this year goes for you. We're kind of stoked to, to hear about it, but yeah, we seriously appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Thanks Giannis. All right. Sounds good guys. Thank you for the time. Appreciate it. Yep. Um, are you going to be uh podcast is done, but are you going to go, uh, to the hoot nanny? I will be there for like the last day. Cause we're coming back from Alaska and we're flying right to catch them. So gotcha. we'll be there for like the athlete round table thing up there 